Hello and welcome to the Learning from Legends program with me, Peter Switzer. And this week, I introduce you to a very angry economist, Roy Robertson, who can't believe that Sydney University continues to ignore his complaints that their top academics lecturing on food were telling the world that sugar was not a problem for those trying to beat obesity and diabetes. Are these famous academics uh, misleading or are they just utter nincompoops? Robertson has his theories. Here is his story. By the way, Rory was the economist who struck a bet with Professor Steve Keane over his predictions of huge house price falls in the GFC, which saw Steve have to walk from Canberra to Mount Kosciuszko after losing the bet. Once again, here's Rory Robertson. Now, I'm sure people might have Particularly people who read the business press would remember your name. From for me, it was University of New South Wales, the Reserve Bank, then Macquarie Bank. Oh, I missed out something along the way. But then you went to Westpac, where I, I presume you still work there as, a, as an economist. Yep. Um, but on the side, you've had this uh, uh, real interest in this sugar debate. But before that, you, you became quite famous when you took on uh, Associate Professor Steve Keane, as he was in those days. During the GFC, when he was predicting house prices would fall by 30 or 40%? 40%. Okay. And, so, and, and in some public forum in Parliament House, I recall. That's right. Um, uh, how did it come about that you could you should challenge him on that particular um, subject of the 40% house price fall? Well, in the GFC, there was lots of concern that things were going to get, get ugly. And Steve Keane was at the forefront of um, you know, producing doomsday forecasts about how house prices would fall by 40% over the next few years. And so I happened to be uh, invited to a, a debate at the, at the um, you know, Parliament House mm. and Steve was the other presenter. So was it, when I was driving down that morning, I basically was, was thinking like, you know, how can I highlight the fact that his forecast is nonsense? And so when we were at the, uh, at the parliamentary library doing this, this um, discussion on, on what might happen next in the GFC, uh, I said, Steve, we've got a full room here and it's not because of me, it's because of your particular gloomsday uh, forecast. So mm. I just said, like, if you're right and house prices fall by 40%, then I'll walk from here to the... You know, 220k to Mount Kosciuszko and up up Mount Kosciuszko and and if I, if you're less than half right if house prices fall by less than 20 percent um, you should walk and encourage him to take that bet and mm. he immediately took the bet and we firmed up the details in in, in later days and mm. then lo and behold within 18 months he had actually walked um, from uh, walked and ran actually walked ran and blogged um, from from um, uh, from Canberra to the to the top of Mount Kosciuszko and what was funny is the whole way through when he was blogging is basically Rory Robertson knows nothing <laughs> uh, and so I'm sure over the years and I've I've heard them as well I've put you and him against each other I've, I think at one stage on my TV show we might or maybe in separate separate interviews side by side um, but you you also made him wear a t-shirt which said what did that t-shirt read? It, it said the loser had to wear a t-shirt okay. that said I was hopelessly wrong on house prices ask me how mm. Okay, but yeah. I, I was more famous back in the day for about five minutes as Rate Cut Rory. Yeah. Um, that sort of, you know, that was a decade yeah. and a half before the Steve, um, the, the Steve going to Kosciuszko thing. Yeah, I remember Rate, rate Cut Rory, um, and there was ever, when you predicted the RBA would do something, and most economists thought they were going to raise. Is, yeah, is, so it was July nineteen ninety six. So yeah. it was just basically I happened. Uh, I think it was about two and a half years out of the Reserve Bank, mm. and I just happened to have a better 
sense of the Reserve Bank's policy uh, outlook than most others, mm. and and that was helped in fact by the this is pre-internet days where. Mm. Uh, Reserve Bank Governor Bernie Fraser uh, gave a speech in Perth on a Friday afternoon, I think it was, um, and in those days there was no um, internet. So right. I walked up to the Reserve Bank of Australia to the 65 Martin Place foyer and got a copy of the speech, as you could, mm. and when you read the speech it couldn't have been clearer. He kept saying, uh, um, can't say too much, but every month uh, the Reserve Bank of Australia considers whether the economy could grow more quickly without um, you know, producing excess pressures uh, on, on price and wages. And so it just was very clear that he was on the cusp of cutting rates and, mm. and the following Tuesday he did. So so were you at the Reserve Bank? When did you start working at the Reserve Bank, um, Rory? So I was a cadet economist in, at the Reserve Bank in 1985. Oh, so okay. the Reserve Bank gave me a sort of, I think it was about 10 grand uh, cadetship yeah. uh, when I was completing my um, uh, honours degree at uh, James Cook University in Townsville. So you would have been there when... Really, the Treasurer was controlling interest rates because as the Treasurer of the time, Paul Kenny, once said, I have the, the Governor Reserve Bank or the RBA in my hip pocket. You might remember that quote better than Well, me. I remember the quote, but it was wrong then as it is now <laughs> in that Bernie Fraser was appointed by Keating yeah. to run the Reserve Bank and uh, he did. He did. Okay. So therefore, when interest rates got too high, it was Bernie's fault, not Paul's? I think the analysis was the uh, Reserve Bank and Treasury uh, agreed uh, that rates should be higher. Um, the Reserve Bank had a bias towards stopping the late 1980s boom to you know, get inflation down. But mm. I think everyone got in a big tangle there. The Treasurer, the Treasury and the Reserve Bank got in a tangle with the current account deficit and ultimately... But it was ultimately it was just a policy misjudgment and, um, you know, interest rates were kept too high for too long. The cash rate got to 18%, mortgage rates mm. got to 17 and then the economy came crashing down. And yeah. the only silver lining in all that is that, you know, inflation fell from you know an average he burned it out as you pointed out once he, yeah. he, he actually said i can get rid of recession uh, of um, inflation but i probably would burn out the economy at the same time yeah well it was an accident but mm. the silver lining was that inflation came down and then then the inflation target came in and um you know the rest is history okay mate just a great piece of history so this is rory robinson uh, on the cutting edge of the economy and the political debate and um he then decides I remember you saying, I invited you on the TV show, you said, I'm not doing any more media. It was, you seemed to be saying that then. Was I wrong in remembering that? Well, I'm, I'm here today, for example, to talk yeah, about no, but the, Yeah, you know, so my job yeah. changed. And, yeah. uh, and so I went from being a high-profile know-it-all to a, to a <laughs> no-profile nobody, yeah. and that's just fine. That's but, my job. Yeah, and you, but you're still doing economics. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm basically, uh, what are we, nearly 35 years uh, in the economic space. I've been since... January 1988, I've been employed full time yeah. as an economist. Uh, you know, in, at, at the sort of highest level of econ, you know, uh, you know, market economics in Australia. Yeah. Okay. Um, but then you decided that you wanted to. Um, well, I, I can remember you actually. You, you, you occasionally would talk about trying to lose weight. Because you know, I've always been preoccupied with being on TV. The first. A uh, year I was on TV, I rem remember my son saying to me, hey, Dad, I saw you on TV, you look like a fat shit. Uh, and my son's very unsubtle, as you could hear. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, um, <laughs> Thanks. Well, he, he played rugby. Thanks, son. He played rugby <laughs> in the second round, so what do you expect? But, but he was right. I, I, I was weighing about um, 100 kilos then, and TV always adds weight on, so um, I actually 
you know, engaged in a, with a very tough dietitian and lost 10 kilos, went to 90. But you also had some struggles. You, know, you were never fat, but you always had some struggles. Well, I was about- fat. I was fat. I mean, I was like every other sort of, um, not every other, but many other sort of middle-aging people. Yeah. Um, so from probably age 30 to 45, I became, you know, probably every year I got a bit fatter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, no matter that I basically was... I thought, you know, I worked hard on what I ate and I worked hard on, on exercise and, and, and sort of nothing worked very well. Yeah. I mean, the truth is I became despondent over time. Um, mm. You know, there was a point where I got to 97 kilos. I was Gee, exhausted after... You were fat. <laughs> yes, I was. Um, I was exhausted after, um, you know, five minutes of soccer with a four-year-old. Mm. And so I was struggling and I'd self-diagnosed myself, you know, I'd sort of lost mm. it a bit as being addicted to food. And then, as it was, one of my bosses said, "Mate, you're not addicted to food. You're addicted to sugar." Mm. Here, read Dave Gillespie's, um, you know, uh, "Sweet Poison," mm. and that was that was in early 2011. And yeah, you know, within eight months, I'd lost sort of 10, 12 kilos, and you know, ha- had a profound effect on my personal well-being and my family's well-being. And so, um, the next step was there was a, a, a full-page profile in the Australian newspaper, the Weekend Australian, one time when my family and I were down in the Blue Mountains at the uh, the Three Sisters. And this this full-page profile uh, had, you know, a, a distinguished nutrition professor at the University of Sydney alongside a, a basically a sugar industry flunky with a table of food spread out. This is sort of low-GI sugary health foods. Um, this is the crew that put um, yeah, healthy low-GI stamps on sugar and say, you know, it's 99.4% sugar, but it's low-GI, so that's good for you. Mm. So the story goes. So the thing that jumped out at me in that piece, that one-page piece, um, was that a distinguished nutrition professor at the University of Sydney was making the claim that sugar does no harm to the human body and in any case we're eating less and less of it. And that was obviously nonsense. Mm. So... For people who don't understand it, because obviously you do, considering you've been debating people who are in this industry, I thought if you had something with high sugar content, it would be have high GI. But that's not necessarily the case. No, I mean I think fructose, uh, the you know, table sugar, added sugar is basically half fructose, half glucose. Yeah. Glucose uh, is, is sort of standard, but fructose is the lowest GI. Uh, carbohydrates so yeah. it's sort of the average of the two yeah. which gets you I think uh, you know fructose 17 18 um, and the low GI thing was basically you know bread's high bread's higher than sugar so sugar's bad sugar's right. good bread's bad okay so so the the core of this argument from the Sydney University uh, expert was in a nutshell Sum it up, Lawrence. Uh, the claim was that uh, uh, there's an Australian paradox. Uh, the particular claim was that um, there has been a consistent and substantial decline in the consumption of sugar per capita in Australia between 1980 and 2010. So over 30 years, supposedly sugar uh, sugar intake had suffered a consistent and substantial decline. And anyone who's actually alive between uh, 1980 and 2010 knew immediately that's nonsense. Mm. Coke... Coke cans were 250 mils yeah. and you could chuck them. Yeah. Uh, and then later they became 375, then 500, and now you can basically get two, three litres, no problem, and, yeah. and people drink them. And lots of people drink two or three litres of Coke a day. Yeah. And on this analysis, uh, uh, it's not a problem. Okay. So, so these experts were saying, were they saying that it, it doesn't matter how much sugar you eat because it doesn't 
Make you fat? Doesn't harm the human body. But there was sort of more like a population stats argument where, you know, the argument in general is that people like, you know, others had sort of said, you know, sugar's a problem. It's sort of one of the drivers of the obesity epidemic across the world. And uh, Bram Miller, who runs a business um, promoting sugar as a health food. Yeah, she's an academic at Sydney University. She is the high, maybe one of the, she used to be one of the, highest uh you know rated and uh you know admired and famous uh academics at the university of sydney she invented she popularized the low gi diet um and but it didn't suit her 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 basic analysis was that sugar's low gi therefore it can't be unhealthy and in fact my business depends on it not being unhealthy and so she sort of uh decided that she was going to basically write a paper that uh you know, proved that sugar couldn't be driving the obesity epidemic because it had been falling at the time where obesity was rising. But the, pro- the problem was she's not very smart. Um, she published a paper with five separate indicators of sugar consumption and four of them trended up, not down. Mm. So the claim was that, you know, sugar, sh- sugar down, obesity up, but then she showed four charts with obesity trend, sorry, with, with sugar consumption, four separate indicators of sugar consumption trended up, not down, um, thus falsifying her story that, that uh, sugar consumption had suffered this, you know, consistent substantial decline. And then, then what was funny is that the, the, the piece of data that, she insists, still insists, is the sort of the key to her analysis. Is it was it was published by the Australian Bureau of Statistics from 1928, 1929 to 1998, 1999. So it was 60 or 70 year data set mm. that the ABS had discontinued as unreliable uh, after 1998, 1999. So her her time frame was 1980 to 2010, and the data set was discontinued as unreliable. Less than two thirds of the way through the time frame. Well, how did she get? How did she get to, to analyze up to two thousand and ten if ABS wasn't keeping the data? Well, the trick is she didn't know what she was doing. Um, but what was funny is that instead of downloading ABS data, she downloaded FAO data. So the United Nations has this entity called the Food and was it the the, the Food and Agriculture. Um, Organization of the United Nations, so FAO, yeah. and it publishes a data set of, of sort of global food um, availability. And so it has this sort of interest in having, you know, 170 odd countries times 100 odd food stuffs. And, you know, they had no interest in having, um, you know, cells in their spreadsheets that said not available. So for, for decades, the FAO would download the ABS data and, 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 you know, basically the FAO sugar data was the ABS sugar data. Mm. And then the ABS stopped publishing because they discontinued their series right. unreliable. And so what was funny is that the FAO probably had some junior statistician there who said, oh, there's no data, what should we do? And someone silly said, why don't we just put in the same number as last year? Until well, it, the, it, wasn't like a, it wasn't like a scientific extrapolation based on any other criteria. Well, <laughs> the, the extrapolation was same as last year go. <laughs> okay. And so what's hilarious is in, in, the, uh, in the Australian Paradox paper, they've got this data set that basically wiggles, wiggles, wiggles as 
the problem was that Avius couldn't count sugar anymore. Mm. It used to be counting you know, bags of sugar we took yeah. home and made into cakes, mm. uh, put in our coffee. But later on, like with gazillions of, um, yeah, you know, inside McDonald's burgers and things well, like that. Well, so you can count that because mm. you know the most of the, buy, most sugar, of the sugar yeah. productions in north, northern mm. New South Wales, North Queensland. Yeah, okay. But but there were there were gazillions of imported products as 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 sort of Australia yeah. got wealthier and trade improved. Like there were gazillions of uh, imported products, and the ABS was unable to count the grams of sugar in these thousands of, of uh, imported oh, okay. items oh, and right. so that's why they had to discontinue they couldn't count it mm. uh, but Bramwell and Barclay knew nothing of all this at the time mm. uh, so what what they did was they just downloaded the uh, the FAO so, data. So a lot of the analysis was based on very questionable data. No that, well, much yeah. of the data was fine um, the trouble for them is they didn't notice that the sugar indicators pointed up not down so four sugar indicators pointed up not down thus okay. thus thus falsifying the claim that there was a consistent substantial decline and okay. the other data was discontinued as unreliable All right, now both of you and i have been academics in our time and there's one thing i've learned about ac academia is there's, there's no real support for you unless you're in some kind of click usually there are academics who are champing at the bit to bring people undone when they come up with second-rate analysis and research. Why, why aren't there a, a, a chorus of academics trying to bring this analysis down, Rory? Or are they there and they're being ignored? Well, just for starters, uh, I, was, uh, I was never really an academic. I was just a... Uh, well, you were a tutor I was, for a while. I was just a youngster in my teens and then in Sydney uh, in, yeah. in my early 20s who... Um, who was who wasn't get paid enough for my day job, so yeah. I did part time tutoring at night and okay. and, and so. But anyway, the honorary academic. Then go. All right. Um, so uh, the reason that no one um, is you know, really backed my call for retractions of this paper, or indeed the thirty diet paper that I've mm. tackled in recent years, the reason no one's backed that is because it turns out the uh, the whole uh, you know modern nutrition space is full of incompetence and fraud, and it's full of you know. Uh, what would you say, um, careerists who have really no interest in getting in fights. They're, 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 the nutritionist careerists in Australia and elsewhere, they see their job or they do best by simply publishing whatever nonsense they please because there's no tradition of checking facts. There's no tradition of faulty uh, papers that damage public health uh, being retracted. Um, no one corrects, any, almost no one corrects anything. And so there's been no scrutiny in this place, in that space. And the, the trouble is that, you know, the, the highly distinguished nutrition careerists at the National Health and Medical Research Council, uh, uh, you know, puts on their, on their sort of expert panels mm. They're the same ones with the shonky papers and the shonky points of view okay. that wreck public nutrition well, device. But what about a group like is there is a group called Diabetes Australia? What's the what's the the peak body worried about diabetes in this country? Well, they, none of them worry about it very much. Otherwise, they'd fix it. But yeah. the, the, there were a number of entities that are supposed to be helping people with type two type two diabetes. About one point one to two million people in Australia have type two diabetes. Yeah, um, it's sort of definitional. That, that type 2 diabetes, which is elevated blood sugar, is driven by excess consumption of sugar and other carbohydrates. This has been documented at the highest levels of science and medicine uh, since at least uh, 1923. Uh, so if you were interested in limiting uh, type, the spread of type 2 diabetes or even better, um, reversing type 2 diabetes in everyday people who are suffering, then the first thing you do is like limit your carbohydrate intake. But... 
you know, one of the one of the high profile influential diabetes careerists at the University of Sydney who was in charge, who was the main scientific author of uh, what's called uh, the, uh, the the Australian Diabetes Strategy, twenty sixteen to twenty twenty. It, it, it's so you go get to a PDF document and go yeah. Control F. The word carbohydrate does not appear. So sugar is 100% carbohydrate. Mm. Bread's a problem. It's mostly carbohydrate. Yeah. A lot of processed carbohydrates are well, a problem. Well, I think around, once right? you've got diabetes, it's, it's all carbohydrates, mm. uh, including you know, yummy fruit. Mm. But um, the problem is that there's been no sort of mark to market. There's been no scrutiny in this space for decades, no real scrutiny. Like it's a sort of a, an insider's club where the most influential know-it-alls get to dominate the space. They get to dominate the research funding. They get to impose their will on younger, more, more basically more intelligent um, people coming through. Um, they say they're one of the famous quotes is that, um, I can't remember the guy, but he was a German, um, more than half a century ago is that, that basically science proceeds one funeral at a time. And it's not the funeral of the people with type 2 diabetes. It's the, it's the know-it-all but incompetent people who dominate the, the, the space, the mm. nutrition science space. Mm. So, um, so Sydney University is an august academic institution. Why wouldn't they have a vested interest in really pursuing what you might th- think is honesty and truth in this particular matter, because in fact they have a, uh, they think they have a vested interest in doing the opposite. Um, you know, the University of Sydney is one of the group, great group of eight universities in Australia. Uh, the great group of eight universities in Australia claim, and when they try and get money from taxpayers, they claim that the group of eight is uniquely devoted to excellence in research, yep. uh, not like all those other loser universities around the country. Uh, the group of eight is uniquely devoted to excellence in research. And when you go and see, show them, like, this is not excellent, this is shonky, mm. it should be retracted because there's thousands of papers. Which, you, which when you did, you, I guess you would have thought it wouldn't take long for them to see it. And then they would extract. Well, the, I, 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 was a bit, I was a bit naive, actually. In the, so I, the first um, uh, research integrity in, initial investigation that I prompted at the University of Sydney, I thought, if I provide the evidence, yeah. they, they, they'll, they'll fix Simple. it. Yeah. And it turns out that's not what happens. What they do, and they did it, so they did it once with the Australian Paradox paper and they've done it again with the, uh, uh, the thir- 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 30 diet uh, lifespan um, paper, that what they do is they, they hire a distinguished nutrition professor who's just on the cusp of retiring mm. uh, and they encourage, you know, they basically, anyway, in both research integrity investigations that the University of Sydney has overseen, they've, They've, they've exonerated the researchers of, uh, of research misconduct. And the main way they've done that, besides trying to, to, not, to, not, to basically exonerate them, they've hidden uh, critical evidence uh, that basically shows it is blatant mis- misconduct. In the uh, Australian Paradox paper, uh, they said, uh, Mr Robertson says the FA is publishing shonky data and basically just making up numbers. But he provided no evidence of, of, of that or even you know, evidence of inquiring about it. You know, where, when, when I'd had a six-page interaction or six-email uh, six interaction mm. with the FAO uh, woman in, in Rome, a mm. woman called Gladys. Mm. Um, Gladys is my grandma's name. So I, remember, Gladys remember, yeah. at the FAO in Rome yeah. basically said, yes, that's right, Rory. Um, yeah, we used, to, we used um, ABS data up to, 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 uh, up to um, 1998-99 and then we basically used this algorithm which is like the s- same 
number mm. go. Mm. So, you know, in, 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 in the process of exonerating these scientists, they basically just disappeared the day, disappeared the evidence. And, and more recently, um, when, when this is a 30-diet study, five, diet, five killer diets were hidden, uh, 143 dead mice were hidden, and, and the, uh, the claim initially was that, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the independent veterinary office overseeing the study um, assessed that these mice would soon have died from malnutrition because these five low-protein diets uh, were not viable for mice. The, the, the plan had been to find out that low-protein, high-carb, insect-friendly diets that are good for grasshoppers, the plan was to show this is a universal truth. That, um, you know, so there's a big crossover. If right. you, I won't go so, so, so there's some mice who basically were... Uh, given very small protein, lots of carbohydrate, and these are the ones that were dying. They, they were the ones, the, the ones that died first, right? Yeah, in okay. a diet and health study, the, the the wrong mice died, and so the wrong mice were hidden. And then, so when I was, you know, when I, uh, you know, complained to the journal, mm. the, the the author of this, the head of the Charles Perkins Centre at the University mm. of Sydney, he wrote to his uh, editor in chief. Mm. Uh, he wrote to the seventy odd people on the scientific board of of, of, of the journal cell. cell. And he said that you know the independent veterinary office um, had said these mice would have died anyway. We're going to die from malnutrition, so we, you know the ethics of the, the ethics protocol mean they have to be uh, euthanised now. And and so whereas the University of Sydney Sydney says these mice and diets were removed from the experiment, they actually were the experiment. <laughs> and then subsequently, uh, what was hidden from uh, the scientific community is that that five of the top seven diets uh, for median lifespan. Uh, uh, were were the wrong diets, so the high protein, low carb diets. So this guy wrote a wrote a pre experiment book where he said that insect friendly, uh, low protein, high carb diets uh, boost uh, lifespan in insects and probably mice too. We're doing a thirty diet experiment at University of Sydney, um, thirty diets, blah blah blah, and um, and when when he, his first sort of uh, promotion of that in the Australian newspaper in, uh, I think it was November of 2013, he talked about, you know, a thousand mice on, on 30 diets. And more recently, the university's promoted, you know, 715 mice on on, uh, on 25 diets. So they hid five killer diets that basically, uh, you know, falsified the uh, hypothesis and they hid 143 uh, dead hidden mice. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's appalling, but... Yeah. The, 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 cr the crunch at the end was where the now Vice-Chancellor, Professor Stephen Garten, uh, who oversaw the initial inquiry into, into my complaints, he, um, he initially, in his first report, he didn't mention the Independent Veterinary Office, like which was a key, of, you know, key part of my evidence. Yeah. You, you go Control-F, no independent, no veterinary, no office, no valid... So he disappeared my left evidence. Out the, left out the good stuff. Well, left out the, the, the stuff that showed yeah, there was clear stuff. misconduct. And then and when, when, when I wrote to complain, and there's a sort of, a, a, I guess, a, um, a process, and so the university next step was to basically write a review, a, a review the, the initial uh, inquiry. And so we had three University of Sydney vice-chancellors, three, uh, were involved in these two investigations, and in the end, what they what they the way they sort of pushed it all away again was to say, yeah, not really. Um, yeah, we recognise there was something about the independent veterinary office, but there were additional submissions by the authors 
along the lines that the mice were not sick when culled. In the paper, it says the mice that were, were removed had, um, well, they had, they had severe weight loss, they had rectal prolapse, and they failed to thrive, which are clearly, you know, you know obvious symptoms of malnutrition. Mm. And that's what the independent veterinary office oversaw, you know, assessed. And then most recently, so we have everyone paid by the University of Sydney, a vice chancellor, two deputy vice chancellors, one who's been who's left the university, uh, and various other investigators and, and know-it-alls, all claiming that the independent veterinary office made a mistake by culling these uh, 143 mice on killer diets because they were not sick when culled. I mean, it's just so clownish, and it's outrageous that the University of Sydney uh, claims that it's uh, devoted devoted to to uh, to excellence in research when in fact it's prepared to basically just make a no put out this clownish report uh, that basically pretends there's nothing wrong. Why like you, you talked about the top eight universities. Why, why isn't there another sort of um, university with a, a, an academic department that's agreeing with you and saying this is a load of crap going on at Sydney Uni? You would have thought that would have happened, Rory. Well, I think that most competent expert nutrition scientists uh, figure that it's in their interest to stay out of mm. this mess. Um, even the National Health and Medical Research Council, who runs this thing called the, the ARIC, so Australian Research Integrity Commission, I wrote to them and I got a result last week. And so what they said is that, um, you know, it was like a, you know, I made a submission in June last year and then in April this year, the head of the National Health and Medical Research Council, so um, she wrote to me and, and, and said that, in fact, um, we can't do anything because the university has already investigated it. So the claim is that we can't look at your evidence that... Um, you know, one of the, one of the, you know, the main author lied to the initial inquiry. We can't look at that. We can't look at your your evidence that the the vice chancellor of the university has basically uh, you know dishonestly pretended that the mice were not sick when culled. We can't look at that because the university has already investigated itself, so our hands are tied. So huh. so so the the National Health and Medical Research Council, which gave one million dollars for the first study, and subsequently on the back of the basically uh, the misrepresentation of the results gave the university another $13 million mm. um, to do more mouse diet research. And, of course, mouse diet research is basically worse than useless if you're looking at you know, obesity, diabetes, because, you know, on a, on a low-carb, high-fat diet, mice get fat and sick. Mm. On a low-carb, high-fat diet, humans who are fat and sick get well. So, it, it, again, it's just... The whole space has close to zero credibility, including the management of Group of Eight universities. But there must be real doctors out there who agree with you. Well, so the trouble is we're, we're all on the margin. I'm not a doctor, obviously, but no. there, are, there are thousands of low-carb doctors who are curing type 2 diabetes across the world mm. using very low-carb diets, high-fat diets. But all this stuff goes back to the 1950s when, you know, a distinguished know-it-all in, in, in the nutrition space, in, a, in, the, in the fledgling nutrition space in the 1950s in the US. So this is this Ansel Keys guy who was basically uh, the guy who invented K-rations, uh, which was a nutrition pack for US Army guys. Mm. Um, so he was the dominant person in the space. I think it was like President Eisenhower had a heart attack in office uh, and there was a big fuss in the 1950s. And so this guy, um, Ansel Keys, uh, who was a mate of the uh, the, the president's doctor, um, you know, the president's doctor went to New York Times and said, you know, 
it's a big problem. Uh, my our guy um, Ansel Keys is going to sort of figure out what causes heart 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 attacks in middle aged men, and so but he already knew. It's mm. a saturated fat. It's a fat. It's a it's a it's a stuff in the pan after you cook bacon and eggs. He knew that, and so he went off and proved it. And then the American Heart Association uh, put out an advisory that basically you, know, you need to go low fat, high carb. Uh, then that became American di- American uh, nutrition advice, American dietary advice, and then. Then a guy in in uh, in London, a South African in London, uh, basically imported uh, the American di- American dietary advice to Australia in 1978, and by 1979 he'd basically, you know, he was the bully in the space. Uh, we know that basically it was a very small space, and so I guess he was pushing against an open door to do whatever he pleased. But you know, ten minutes later, we've got the National Health and Medical Research Council, National Health and Medical Research Council, basically inking in. This guy, the University of Sydney professors, uh, inking in the new dietary guidelines straight from the US with no independent scientific, uh, uh, you know, confirmation that, that that this was a good idea. Um, you know, the the Australian Dietitians Association, the the Australian uh, Diabetes Council, which is the New South uh, Wales arm of, of um, uh, Diabetes Australia. Um, all you know, all these entities have just basically inked in the American advice from the 1950s uh, without any independent, uh, you know, scientific uh, uh, confirmation that that was a sensible thing to do. Greg Hunt, have you talked to Greg Hunt? Uh, not yet. I think uh, we're building in that direction. I've um, I've written to uh, pretty much every state politician in Australia and explained that uh, the University of Sydney can't be trusted. Basically, the University of Sydney and the Australian, uh, dietary, guide, Australian dietary Guidelines and the, the, uh, the, the National Diabetes Strategy are all basically worse than useless in the sense that they promote 45 to 65% carbohydrates as healthy, mm. uh, when in fact... You know, for people with diabetes, it's actually what caused it in the first place. And uh, the fix is, is a low-carb diet, high-fat diet. So the whole place has been um, uh, wrecked by this, you know, phobia of fat that got into the official guidelines very early. Mm-hmm. And um, it turns out to be complete nonsense. Like, I think it's it's now very clear, even to the, um, you know, the American uh, Dietitians Union who now say that carbs are more dangerous than, than, than dietary fat for heart disease. Okay, so... Where are we at? To wrap it up, um, Rory, you've been fighting against you know a lot of vested interests who don't want to believe you, um, insufficient government support. Um, you, you've got on the ground doctors saying you're absolutely right. Fight diabetes with uh, high protein. Well, low, just just they remove the excess carbs. Yeah, That's okay. the main thing. Okay, so where to now? Because and 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 by the way. Are these people trying to sue you for telling them? Have you been threatened <laughs> well, what, with what's, what's funny is that the Sydney Uni tried that one right early on. Mm. Uh, there was a woman called Professor Jill Tuwella, who was a Deputy Vice-Chancellor of Research. Mm. So this might have been about 2012. Um, I was about six months into the little fight and um, I wrote a piece that was just a summary of the first six months and I said, you know, if there's anyone out there who doesn't believe this paper, this faulty paper should be retracted, please get in touch ASAP. Anyway, so at midnight one night, I get this email from Professor Jill Tuella, the, 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 you know, basically 3IC of the University of Sydney, who basically said, excuse me, Rory, um, please stop your, um, you know, your, your um, uh, 
uh, you know, fight with our distinguished scientists, um, you know, you, you're with your, um, what she, they, she said something like, you know, your, your unsubstantiated and potentially um, uh, defamatory material. Mm. And I said, uh, I replied and basically said, look, I've just sent you a 70-page document, so don't pretend my stuff is, you know, my claims are unsubstantiated. And in fact, if you can find one factual error or any factual error in the entire document, please let me know ASAP and I will correct it. Um, and then basically, you know, potentially defamatory was the last thing I heard about, mm. about um, you know, any, any, any sort of legal action. But the reason there's been no legal action is, is plain because I'm now saying there's an Australian paradox sugar and obesity fraud. I'm saying there is a, a 30 diet lifespan fraud. I've written to you know, the National Health and Medical Research Council and, and there's like formal documents from them and, and to, to me and, and from me to them and them to me uh, where they're basically, you know, this is now a very formal process. Um, the fact that it is that, um, you know, the main defence for defamation is that what you've said is factually correct and what you said is, you know, has is, has implications for public health. So, I, I don't, um, I wouldn't want a, a sort of any legal action. But but I'm not scared of it anymore. Mm. Um, I think I've been very careful in uh, in documenting the facts. In in, in fact, I say uh, there's this latest one, the um, the thirty diet episode. I say it is the uh, maybe the. Uh, best documented case of serious research fraud in the history of Group Eight, Group of Eight universities, um, going all the way back to the to the founding of University of Sydney in in, uh, in 1850. So I'm not making uh, uh, you know, small claims here. I think this is a really big deal. And the main problem is all this sort of low protein, high carb, sugary nonsense is working to continue the suppression of the the effective cure for type two diabetes. Like. All this, all the type two diabetes in Australia is is essentially preventable, um, not 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 by doing anything more than removing sugar and carbs from people's diets and replacing it with fat. It's it's so simple and yet so tragic that that the the, the effective cure is is um, being suppressed by all this nonsense from University of Sydney careerists in particular, who um who either aren't very good at their jobs. Well, they're not very good at their jobs, but they either don't understand the simplest matters of fact or they really don't care because their careers are, are more important. Rory, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. Well, that's the end of the show. Thanks for joining us. Uh, next week, I'll be talking to another legend. Uh, and if you're interested in making money, have a look at our switzerreport.com.au or tune into our TV show on the YouTube channel. Just type in Switzer Investing YouTube and you'll get there. The show it goes out on Mondays and Thursday nights. And I'd love you to become a subscriber. I'm Peter Switzer. Talk to you next week. Thank mm -hmm. you.